Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Ben Kay, and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. In our final show of the season, Simon Shaw and Wayne Barnes joined us in the studio to analyse a couple of Premiership semi finals that went right down to the wire and look ahead to this weekend's grand finale at Twickenham. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight and analysis from Sarah Elgin, Craig Doyle, Austin Healy and our studio guests. Now, our guest tonight is a bit of a ledge. He was born in Kenya at six foot eight. He's one of the tallest men to have ever played for England, apart from Martin Bayfield, of course. He started his career with Bristol, finished up in Toulon, and he was with Wasps for 15 years. He's won everything that you could win in the game. Uh, league titles, European trophies, Grand Slams, Lions me? Tours and a World Cup. Okay. Uh-uh. Yes. Uh, please welcome Simon Shaw. Looking fit and healthy and just sprightly as ever. Uh, makeup got rid of my tan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got to bring you down. Um, I listed everything that, that you'd won then. You have pretty much won everything that you could win um, in this game. But in terms of your finest moment or your best memory of all the tours and all the trophies, what would it be? I would have to say uh, any time we beat Leicester in the final, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I right said it was when you were Hank in the uh, in the 1917 1917 1997 Lions tour when you were the uh, Bruce Bruce was it Bruce in the white vest that, that was your highlight Fine, of your career finest moment it's a hell yeah. of an anecdote that I, 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 I wrote it's it off the tongue. I wrote it earlier uh, it's amazing it's ten years you know almost to the day since Wasps won that European title with all your old pals and you're celebrating it we are yeah we've got a dinner tomorrow night uh, gathering everyone from all around the world, wherever they've ended up, New Zealand, Canada, wherever they've ended up, gathering me all, all tomorrow night for a big celebration, so it should be good. Oh, your memories of the day, wonderful celebrations there. Who's that old guy there? <laughs> the, the slightly balding guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was a momentous occasion, uh, as so every final So that's the 04 is. Premiership title there, but... There's so many. There's so many. <laughs> Not that many. Was it two? <laughs> <laughs> two Heinekens. Two Heinekens, yeah. And how many league titles was it? Four. Four. Oh, yes. so? Just the four. Just the oh, four. Sensing a bit of tension. I think yeah. we need to separate them. Um, OK, so I was reading a stat um, when we found out you were coming on. And apparently, playing against Bath in 2000, you were the first and only second row at the time, I don't know if it's changed now, to score a drop goal. Do yes. you know that? You I did, didn't, didn't you? I didn't know that, yeah. OK. Yeah. Is anybody, is it, are the Were you there, rows? Simon? No. <laughs> I meant, did you know? All right, I meant, did you know that you were the only one at the time that had ever done that? Uh, not at the time, no. Okay. I, I used to sit in the pocket quite often waiting for the ball, but no-one ever used to pass it. And it was a pure accident that someone passed me the ball. I actually, there was actually a four-man overlap, uh, so I got scolded by the coach at the time, but uh, I was happy with it. Can you still do it? 
course you can. You still got it. You still uh, got it. But I think we need a referee. He's such a popular guest. Every time he comes on, we get a huge <laughs> reaction. He is the referee's referee. He is Wayne Barnes. I have oh. got a question. So oh. in a couple of games recently, I think the European final was it the, the, on the Friday night before the European, uh, before the on, in the Challenge final. Hit Spider Cam. What are the rules? What are the laws? Ah, yeah, right. first time I saw it was over in France because they use it quite a bit. You're meant to just stop the game. If you see it, the problem is as a ref, sometimes you're not looking for it. You're, you're looking down here. The thing that you're taught is not to look up. Um, so it's smashing in a, a spider cam. You're meant to give a scrum to the team who's just kicked it. But oh, interesting oh, if it was a drop goal, though, wasn't it? Yeah, to win yeah. the game. Especially yeah. a Simon Shaw drop goal. Yeah. <laughs> spider cam up at about 100 feet. Um, <laughs> can I go back to the semi-final on Saturday? And it was a sensational occasion down the Sandy Park. You were there, obviously. And that try and the noise when that try was scored by the Exeter Chiefs, have you ever experienced anything like it in your life? I thought the noise beforehand was pretty spectacular as well. You had some chap with a, um, a guitar wandering around the pitch singing about the Baxter boys. And you just thought, this is what rugby is about. This is about these special occasions. Um, and then it just built and built. There's so much toing and froing in that game. And then the end, to finish like it did. I, you know, you talk about fairy tales and dreams of clubs, you know, that has to go down as one of those um, stories that will sit in Premiership history. Do you allow yourself have that moment as a rugby fan on the pitch and go, whoa, that was good, Slady's kick was spot on? Oh, loads of things are going through your mind at that point because you know it's a three-point game. You think, well, a penalty here could take it to extra time. Then you're thinking about Mrs Barnes perhaps, um, you know, waiting for you at home because we were going out for a drink. So all oh, these things... Oh, <laughs> what the way you're going for? Who's waiting Wow. So, um... I often think about Mrs Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're a brave man sitting over there. And when he's not thinking about her... <laughs> uh, well, I hope Mrs Barnes is tuning in today. She's busy. <laughs> well, then. This is awful. Where do we go from there? <laughs> Not me, you got to apologise to. <laughs> Why did we go back to Sandy Park last weekend? It was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, Before it was we talk about the game, um, just to let you know, Ben and Oz, that Mrs Barnes is watching. She's just tweeted us. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> and just, just saying, that's all she says is, I am watching. Be afraid, be very pleased. And you, when you get home. Right, let's talk about um, that semi-final then. Uh, over the 80 minutes, Austin, Exeter, deserving winners. Oh, I think that's a tough one. I think, it, yeah, I think it could have gone either way. I love the way that Sarri's fought their way back into the game. When Brits came on, he made a big difference, at, particularly in, in creating opportunities. And Saracens took a knock. Exeter played really well, and we're underdogs, massive underdogs, going into that game. I think on paper, and uh, I think the way Saracens fought back from being knocked uh, from the Noel try, I thought it was very, very impressive. But it just goes to show how difficult it is to go back to back in massive games like that of such intensity and it was an incredibly intense game particularly when you look at the stats Exeter's ball carrying was immense their time on the ball means that Sarri is the uh, is it rope a dope we call it but mm. it, it just didn't work it, they, they they were able to keep going and going um, Ben Oz said obviously the Exeter ball carrying was immense as was their set piece that was pretty well, impressive got, as well they've got a very easy to define style of play haven't they they get their set piece spot on and it was 100% both line out and scrum uh, but they also off the back of that, they get that pick-and-go game, particularly when they're in the 22. And, um, you know, we saw that with Jack Knowles' try. They, they, they get themselves into the 22, a good bit of footwork. And then, look, the thing about Saracens, they said afterwards they 
they felt a little bit lethargic. They're not making mistake, excuses. It was a tough game the week before. They're just a little bit unsaracens like The speed to get round the corner on this breakdown is not quite as quick, which means they've got no line speed. That's what we know Saracens for. But Exeter, don't, I don't want to diminish what they've achieved because this is brilliant. That's Exeter at their best. The pick and go, forwards, backs, and Jack Knoll. Just look at the little step he puts in here on Billy Vonapola, who's got a couple of guys to defend. He doesn't know whether to go for the pass or go for the pick and go. And Noel just beats him with that speed and that ability to Stra burrow underneath. Strangely, the half break was made when Berger was tripped up by Cock, just as they came round the corner. Oh. Thanks for that. <laughs> Sorry, was it? Who was it? <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we shouldn't be repeating the stuff we say in the green room. Um, let's uh, let's talk about Mike Ellery's try, and I'm just wondering, from your perspective, if Mike Ellery had dropped this ball, Wayne, would you be looking at a different situation here? Because uh, he was pretty tipped up. Were you thinking, did he jump into this? Um, I thought it was a, a really well-taken try, um, but a lot of things go through, through your mind as a referee during the game. So is he, um, is he kind of jumps? Does he jump? Does he hop? Um, and then I think it's Slade, he gets underneath him. You're thinking, wow, I might have to make a, a difficult decision here. But he grounds a ball, gets up, celebrates, and on we go. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that we've talked about this, you know, as, as a group of referees and listening to some of the commentary before. We don't want to keep reviewing things. We don't want to put things up on the TMO um, screen that we don't need to. And here... We wanted that momentum of the game to keep going. Give the try, get on with it, and on we go. I think the thing that you know there is that the guy trying to score the try is trying to get to ground. So if the tackle's big and he's done a slight jump, then he's going to be heading headfirst to the ground to place the ball. So it's different than if you see that in midfield and someone gets tipped up. Yeah. You know, it would have been, you know, you've got two guys, one trying to defend the line, one trying to score a try, it would have been a travesty if we'd, if we'd wrecked the game by losing one player on there. We thought that, Simon, that was the defining moment of the game, and then the clock is in the red, and Exeter win the scrum penalty. And it was a sensational moment because you felt a buzz in the ground that actually something might happen here, but Henry Slade, so ballsy to kick that kick, but you could just see the control from Chiefs here, Simon. They, they weren't kind of panicked by it, you felt like they always knew what they were going to do. Absolutely, I mean, th this is what Exeter have been doing, you know, for the latter half of the season, each individual doing their own job really, really well. Obviously, the kick goes a little bit further than perhaps the forwards were expecting, but that's, that's a boost to them. Now they've got to do their job. The line-out thrower throws in perfectly. They get the drive on, the squeeze on, on Saracens, and they've been doing this really well the latter half of the season, and, and it's something that Ross going to have to look out for. And the responsibility of the pack, particularly the second rows, when you know your kicker puts you five metres from the line, the dying moments of a game, I mean, you just have to secure that ball. You Huge know what's pressure. Going Luckily, I never had to do that. <laughs> he's, he's never called to me. I don't think we've spoken enough about that kick, because that kick was phenomenal, wasn't it? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I, think, I don't know how windy it was, but that's normally the direction of the wind down at Sandy yeah. Park. And um, he's picked somebody out probably in an orange jacket and it's, you know, he's backed himself. But actually, Ponzi, you gave the try without going to a TMO and it was that purely because you saw it on the ground through the legs or what would have happened there in that scenario? So it was interesting, I discussed this with um, my touch judge on that side was uh, Ross Campbell um, and he said he's just about to come in and start shouting, try my ear if I hadn't awarded it. You want to try and give live decisions as refs, you know, as I just said, because we rely upon it too often sometimes. So I'm trying to find the ball. You, you lose the ball sometimes in the mall, but then I just 
dropped back into infield, had a quick look, and then I found a ball in between someone's legs. First place to look, to be fair. That's so, that's so important because um, there are times where the mass of bodies, I know, I'm sure Shawsy's had it in his teams, where you know a try has been scored, but they just can't find the right camera angle. So the referee's the closest guy there. Yes, he might have to go around looking, looking for but it's so much more... I think when the TMO's there, it's almost a, well, I'd better use it just to check. But then that actually can, can cause you more problems. So we, as players, I'm sure they'd love to see more decisions just given rather than go to the TMO. Yeah, it's refreshing, isn't it? OK, so with that dramatic win, Exeter Chiefs booked their place in a second consecutive final. A win on Saturday and the club will secure its first Premiership title. The convoluted Champions Cup playoff system continues. Saints won 21-15 in their game. It was Nick Groom who scored the uh, try that really sealed it. 21-15, good result for them. And if Saints really needed a decent end to the season. It's been so topsy-turvy for them over the course of the year. And to get Champions Cup rugby was absolutely essential considering all the disappointments they've had this season. So who would they play? Well, Stad will take on Northampton Saints on Friday night in the playoff final. They did so by beating Cardiff Blues, 46 points to 21. And Stad also, rocky old season. We didn't know what was going to happen there. We thought they were going to be joining up with Racing, of course, just a few months ago. But Sergio Perez just leading the charge. Great bit of skill from the big fella. Didn't fancy the sprint upfield. And a nice bit of play from Stad, who've just kind of come into their own over the past couple of months. And they did the job. They will play Saints in Franklin's Gardens for that final Champions Cup playoff place next season. Of course, uh, next season, the winner of the Challenge Cup will immediately get that place. No more of this stuff. Yeah, that's good, yeah. Isn't it? it is Thanks. good, yeah. Um, in other news, Billy Vanapola, of course, had to pull out of the British Irish Lions tour. Um, he put on social media, I think it was Instagram, wasn't it, uh, this message. Uh, thank you all for your kind words. Unfortunately, these things happen. It's not the end of the world. We move forward. Hashtag God has a plan for me. Um, and then subsequently, the uh, New Zealand Herald. Herald? That's quite hard to say. Herald. Herald. You did New it. Zealand Herald? No, you did it very okay. well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, obviously, they, they posted this picture, and that picture is obviously not Billy. It's his brother. Do you no. think they did that on purpose? Would they, they look have done very that on purpose, alike. just to wind? No, no? not at all. <laughs> I think we'll have, they will have Google imaged for the polar. And that, yeah. I mean, that is quite possibly though, the worst news that the British National Lions squad could have had, isn't it? Yeah, really um, there's a few people saying maybe Owen Farrell would have been a, a bigger loss, but... For me, I think the, the one that the New Zealand team would have been scared of is, is Billy Vunapola and, and his ability to create momentum for a side, not only when he carries the ball, but also when he's used as a decoy runner, is a huge, huge loss. Though, I mean, we're all sort of a bit glum about it, but the All Blacks aren't exactly blessed with their injuries at the moment. You've got Kieran Reid, who might just make it back for the first test. Jerome, Jerome Kano as well, probably that first test is his goal. And then, um, you know, below them, there's an interesting, well, who will we use if they're not fit? Um, and uh, one of the options uh, would be Ardi Surveyor, moving over from seven. He's played there for, um, in, the, in the Super Rugby this year. He's probably a bit more like a Falatau-style number eight. And I was really looking forward to, if he was there, Billy Vunapola having those contrasting styles. Um, so, James Haskell has been drafted in. The right decision to bring James in? Well, I think you're going to get a very good tourist. You're going to get a lot of experience. I think Haskell will be the first to admit that his form's not where it has been in the past 12 months over the last few weeks. And he'll look to bounce back from that. And he's the sort of guy that can build on a tour. 
You know, he's not going there. Obviously, you, you go if you're a late selection knowing that you're not first choice. You're not likely to start in the test. But anything can happen, particularly if you have some really good performance in those hard midweek games. I mean, Shawsy yeah, knows Hask really well. So, uh, yeah, what's he going to bring what sort of character he is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you need those sorts of guys on tour. I think uh, Gatland in, in 2009 took me not as a test starter, that, that's for sure. I think he took me knowing that um, throughout a tour like that, I'd stick to, stick to my game, keep keep pulling together the, the, the players and, and, and keep trucking away. And I think Haskell's one of those guys that are going to bring the party together, keep spirits high all the time, and, and we'll have a shot for, for a test. Who's the bigger place. winner out of, out of... I mean, oh, James obviously getting the call-up, but between CJ Stander and uh, Faletau, who, who do you think's mm. the bigger winner of, of Billy not making it? Well, I think Faletau... First and foremost, because um, he's, he's a natural eight and he's, he's, he's come in with good form. I mean, he's only played the last few weeks, but he'll be fresh as well. So, you know, in the, in the, in the games preceding the, the test matches, he'll, he'll be fresh and, and raring to go. I, so. I actually think it plays into both of their hands. I think Faletau is the out-and-out -out candidate to, to be number eight starter. But without Billy Vonapola, and Faletau is different, he doesn't provide that go-forward in, in the tight exchanges around running into traffic. He's very good in, in, in more open play. But Stander at six would give you that. So perhaps if you had a Vonapola, you could have an Omani or, or a Moriarty on, at six. Um, but with, uh, obviously with Faletau there, maybe you want that tight in-ball carrier, and Stander's probably the best at that of the six. Um, so I went to speak to James Haskell a day after the announcement, and this is what he had to say. It's amazing, but I, I feel real bad for Billy because he's a good mate of mine and he's been an unbelievable form and it's a massive loss. And the other thing is um, we've got the final, haven't we? And it's yes. like, I'm terrible at... I compartmentalise the whole time. My missus drives her mad. Like, she can't understand why I'm not, like, swinging from the, the ceiling and going mad. But to go online was a bit of a dream and I don't really know what to, what to expect, what to do. And the most important thing is you do justice for the, the shirt and be the best you can be on that, that side of it. So I kind of just want to focus on the rugby. No, and do that it's not going to be you, well, is I know, it? But you know. I, I, I will be myself. Okay, like, I, will, I will do something as well. I just want to make sure that I think um, the lines people got media later and everything else like that, I don't want to just say anything, do anything wrong. I saw a quote in the paper, Oz, I won't name the paper of the weekend, and they said, well, if they knew Billy, uh, and there's a sense that maybe Billy knew he had a shoulder injury, that in the lead-up to the Lions tour, the club could arrest him a bit. And I, I kind of <coughs> have a bit of an issue with that idea. Surely, I know the Lions is a great thing, but surely the pinnacle of your career should be winning a trophy with your club and your country ahead of the Lions, and the, you know, the Lions is a result of good form in either of those. What's your view on that? Yeah, I sort of think that... Has the Lions lost its way? Is it as powerful a nomination as it used to be in the olden days? Are the values still the same? I mean, they talk about the values. They talk about protecting the shirt and the history that goes with it. And, yeah, there's a lot of history with the Lions, but that has nothing to do with where you are now. I sort of get a sense that it's become over-marketable and a little bit too much of a money drive, from my own point of view. And people will disagree. They'll watch at home and say, I'm just saying that for controversy. But when I played for the Lions, it was, it, it was good, but it, wasn't, it didn't feel as good as playing for England. It wasn't even close. And, uh, and, and I think it's, everyone's different, really. Some people really want to play for the Lions. The interesting thing is, you know, when these call-ups come up, if you're over there with England and Argentina and you're playing pretty well and you're maybe the captain, are you actually going to go or are you going to stay? I mean, I, I, I personally, I, I think the Lions isn't what it used to be. Simon? Uh, I disagree. No, I mean, I, I, well, certainly for me, it was the pinnacle of my career. Um, but then, you know, circumstances, as Oz said, are different for everyone. I mean, I, I always felt like I didn't get as many chances as I should have done for England, and, and those Lions selections 
merited what I felt was a, was a was an ability that, that perhaps wasn't seen by by the coaches. So I I felt like it was a, a chance to show what I was capable of on the big stage. Um, well, the Scotland sevens team, as I move on to the shorter version of the game, enjoyed the pinnacle of perhaps their career over the course of the weekend. They retained the London Sevens title, beating England, the old enemy, 12-5. Um, a really big performance from them. They beat New Zealand in the run-up to that, which was a massive win for them. It's the first time they beat New Zealand in any form in the game. But Mark Robinson, he was the player of the tournament for Scotland. What a weekend. Genuinely blown away by the messages and support. Proud, proud day to be a Scotsman. Thank you very much. They were absolutely brilliant. This is how it all finished up, of course. They won in London, but it is a series that takes place all around the world. And South Africa they were the winners, standout winners, 192 points, England in second place, Fiji, New Zealand and the USA making up the top five. I always like looking at the top ten here, Barnsley, because you see all these developing countries coming through. Not so much, we're not seeing a Kenya there at the moment, or a, or a Spain or a Portugal, but still it's an interesting Wales. mix. Wales. It? Wales. Oh, Wales. Oh, oh, yeah, the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it, it, is, it is working its magic around the world, isn't it, Sevens? It's definitely working. I think it's great to see, you know, you, you go back 10 years and see the players who've now come into the, the 15s game, but now you're looking at, you know, the USA putting in big performances every tournament. You're looking at, you know, Scotland now really working hard. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great atmosphere, isn't it? A day out at Twickenham was pretty special this weekend. So when you were rushing home from Exeter on Saturday night to go for a drunk with Mrs Barnes, <laughs> I can delight to tell you that Wasps and the Leicester Tigers were at it up at the Rico Arena. It was a brilliant semi-final. Wasp spirit um, been questioned a fair bit, hasn't it, over the last, what, 18 months, Austin? But they showed some real doggy determination, didn't they, at the end of that game? Yeah, and a lot of quality as well. They had a lot of quality through the game. They made a lot of mistakes during the game, but they were put under a lot of pressure by Leicester's defence. And Leicester piling into the breakdown, really making the breakdowns very heavy, very difficult to get quick ball, was one of the key factors in the game. And uh, as we said, it could have gone either way. And I thought it was one of, one of the best games of rugby I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, by the one that perhaps happened a few hours beforehand. <laughs> we didn't think it could be repeated, but on 77 minutes, a match-winning moment from Josh Bassett, Benny. Oh, absolutely. And actually, it was the perfect game for Wasp going into the final because if they'd blown Leicester away, then it wouldn't have given them that belief that this did because they did make a lot of mistakes, but they created a lot of opportunities, but they bided their time. And when, when, when the pressure was on and push came to shove, they wanted Jimmy Gopeth in that position just to make the right decision, tie in the last defender and, and put Bassett over. And, you know, you just you thought, actually, it might be Leicester's day you know, maybe Wasps have blown all their chances, but to come back like that, that's, a, that's the sign of a champion team and, and they could well, they'll take that into the, the extra game on Saturday. Freddie oh, Burns laid out there as well. I hadn't noticed that. You didn't notice that? I didn't notice that. He no, at the time I was too busy away. watching the move, but he was stressed yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, but he's, he's all right. right. He got he's all right, yeah, 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 so he's all good. Um, so as you've just seen, I went down to Wasps this week and I had a chat with a few of the players, um, James Haskell and also Danny Cipriani, and I asked them about Exeter's threat and this is what they had to say. They've got a very good forward pack. They've got a very disciplined um, set piece. You know, they score a lot of tries. You know, it's telling when Thomas Waldron's a, or, you know, one of the top tries for always. The bloke's unbelievable. I know he scores some other good tries, but he lives the dream at the back of that, that line out. Uh, I've been trying to get it at Wasp, but we <laughs> keep getting booted out. Um, and I just think that that kind of set piece battle, their, their physicality, you know, they have a, a, a very good bond in their, in their team. You know, they, they, they play a certain way. They play a physical, direct way. They're very well coached. So we, we know that those kind of threats are going to be there. It's kind of about just being respectful of what they do, but worrying more about our, ourselves. And you can't go into a final and think anything else about what we're going to do, how we're going to play. Be respectful of the opposition and, and just deliver our performance. They've been to a final, the pressure will be more on them and it, and it will be down to us to really make sure we turn up on the day and, 
and do everything that we can do and show why we're top of the table this year. It's going to be a good final, it's going to be a good contest and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to it. Going back to the, to the weekend's uh, match, um, some really good performances, um, individual performances from the Leicester team. Like Tom Youngs was phenomenal, wasn't he? And it was a brilliant pass from Freddie Burns for, for the Beetham try. Who's going to answer that? Yeah, well, me? it was. Um, you know, <laughs> Freddie just has that ability to, to throw passes that other people can't. I mean, this, this is just good decision-making and, and you know, spotting the opportunity. A little glance there to his left to see whether it's on. He knows that Christian Wade's out there. Brendan O'Connor ties him in as the last defender and he knows that if he can keep him on the five-metre uh, line, it's on. But just that delay, it's what Cipriani's so good at. That delay, Ford's good as well and, and forcing defenders to overcommit and, and, and show their hand. Let's talk about uh, the season from a refereeing perspective, Wayne. Um, how's it been for you? What, what, what's, uh, what's improved and what needs to be improved from what you've seen so far? Oh, look, I just think it's been a cracking season. You know, I, I remember that opening game when Leicester played Gloucester um, over at Kingsome, and you know, I just thought, wow, if this what the season's got in store, we've got some bloody good rugby coming um, to us. Um, and then you look at those semi-finals and you realise that we've had a cracking season. Not just at the top, I think some of those bottom games have been good as well. You know, that Bristol-Worcester game um, down at Ashton Gate um, at, around Boxing Day I thought was fantastic. And then they, when they played each other again, um, up at Worcester, and Worcester just put in that fantastic performance. So I just think there's been a lot of good rugby around. Do you think um, the games are long enough or short enough? Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> you know, you got to make sure you earn your money, yeah. haven't you? You know, so uh, <laughs> whether it be 80 minutes or 100 minutes, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed most of them this year. <laughs> um, how about the, the the tackle laws and the fact you've got a little bit stricter with them this year? How's that panned out for you? Yeah, well, I remember coming in here in January, and there's a lot in the press and a lot of the ex-players and current players saying, you know, this is going to ruin our game, you know, and. So we wanted to just say as referees, look, nothing's really changed. You know, we're going to referee exactly the same. We're going to protect players and players who get smashed in the head. We're going to um, deal with a player who smashed him in the head. And really interesting, I just looked at some stats before I came in. Um, before Christmas, um, there were 18 cards. And since um, after Christmas, there's been nine cards for dangerous tackles. So what has been, you know, the big concern um, didn't come to fruition. So um, I think that was a bit of a you know, a bit of a red herring and I think referees have just refereed it smartly. Or, or maybe, maybe just putting it out there has meant that coaches have gone, right, we're not going to accept people tackling high and, yeah. and, and it's actually had the desired effect. Yeah. Um, one of the other key issues at the start of the season I know the RFU wanted to address was um, players' attitudes and behaviour towards yeah. the officials. Do, do, do you think there's been a change? Yeah, I, th I think what we've done as a group of referees as well, there's, there's <laughs> nine of us who are full-time, you know, there's a big investment um, from the RFU and Premier Rugby. Um, so the nine of us have been going into clubs more. So we're going in, we're training with clubs, we're going in training with England. So we're building that relationship. So the players understand what we're trying to do, the coaches understand what we're trying to do, and more importantly, we understand what they're trying to do. So um, there's that mutual respect. And, you know, the semi-final, you know, there was a controversial decision which um, Owen Farrell was a captain at that point, thought went against him. He had a bit of a chirp. You stop the game and remind him, and the first thing he says is, yep, Barnsley, get it, sorry. You know, and yeah. that's what's, I think, so special about our game and why I think we all want our kids to play it and yeah. be involved in it. You get a headlock in the showers, I really pull up <laughs> headlock. <laughs> I had the door locked. Um, <laughs> is there anything you're looking at? Do you think we're going to have anything reviewed or looked at or changed over the off-season? Um, there's, um, there's a couple of um, new law variations coming in for next year and being the Lions, but nothing drastic. 
Um, Remind us what they are. So one of the ones, if you get a penalty at the end of the game now, currently you can't kick it to touch. But that line-out now is such, as we saw in the Exeter game, such a great weapon saying even if 80 minutes is finished, you can kick it to the corner and take the line out. You can't do that at the moment. So just something to make sure... Unless you're Connacht, then you can do what you want. Or, 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 or Italy. <laughs> I, I want to talk to you about a certain Stade Francais player. Do you know who I'm talking about? Parisi. No, not Parisi. Try again. Slimani. Um, because he has been um, substituted through injury a few times this season. I think we've seen it three times in that French game. There was the semi-final against Ospreys in the Challenge Cup and then, of course, the final against Gloucester too. Substitute through injury and then we see him go back on. Now, what do you do as a referee in a situation like that and what processes do you go through? Yeah, so I think he's, um, first of all, he's substituted. He's not injured when he goes off. So if a player goes off injured, okay. to make it clear, he cannot come back on. Right. So if he goes off with a broken leg or um, concussed, he cannot come back on. If he's substituted, he can only come back on in a few situations. If it's blood, if it's a front row player is injured, or if it's be, um, for an HIA or because of foul play. So in these situations, what's happened is um, he's gone off as a substitution. He's then come back on for a player who is injured. Now, sometimes, you know, we're asked afterwards, how do you know he's injured? Well, as referees, we've got to be very careful saying he's not injured. We've got to listen to the medics, you know, in that France-Wales game as an example. You say to the doctor, you know, in my, in my worst French, I suppose, um, is he injured? And if he says... That's not French. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible French. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was a problem. Uh, and he, if he says yes, you've got to be either... Would you like to see independent doctors? Would that make a difference? Or, or do you just think it's one of those loopholes that we actually just need all the directors of rugby and coaches to get together and say, look, it's for the good of the players? But that's never going to happen. Never going to happen. No. Well, and, and also, you know, you, you know your, your body. If you say to a, a doctor, my knee hurts, I can't walk on it, well... A doctor's not going to say, yes, you can. Mm. So I, I think it's one of those things that we need to be aware of. You, as journalists, need to make sure you hold people to account. And us as referees have got to test it now and then. Um, but if a player says, I'm injured or I've got a bang to the head and I can't mm. see properly, it takes a brave referee, you know, to say, mm. you're taking a dive. You know, you, you gave someone some grief a couple of weeks ago. We got one in the spuds, as you said, uh, yeah. for saying that a player had taken a dive. We've got to be very yeah, careful with referees. Yeah, yeah. We've got to be very careful, because we've got to protect players. We could keep talking about this, can we? It's such an interesting subject. Um, let's move on, though. Earlier today, Craig spoke with European Professional Club Rugby Chairman Simon Halliday about recent rule changes and plans for the Champions Cup and Challenge Cup next season. This is how it went. So, Simon, all done and dusted for another European season, but do you get a sense this was the season that the European Cup turned a corner? You go back to the last season when we had a lot of obstacles to get over... The Irish never really turned up, so everyone was accusing it of being an Anglo-French tournament, and um, none of that this year. And I think to see some of the full stadia in the quarterfinals, the amazing semi-finals, and then you know that Titanic final up in Edinburgh. Uh, when we look back at it, I think we can say, you know, great job done. Plenty more to do, but it was a fantastic tournament. It's going to be even harder in the pool stages from now on because no more geographical meritocracy. So when it comes to the Pro 12, the top seven teams, no matter where they're from. They're the ones that go through to the Champions Cup the next year. So it's then the winner of the, of the Challenge Cup goes through uh, by virtue of winning that trophy. What's the reaction been like from the likes of the Italians who are likely to lose out from this rule change? You know, we are massive fans of Italian rugby. We want Italian rugby to be incredibly strong. But there needs to be reality around that as well. But I think just to say that the top seven in the Pro 12, the best performers go up, plus the winner of the Challenge Cup. We've been getting that input for a while now. 
it takes time, but we've got there, and those changes will happen from the end of next season onwards. There must have been an Italian screaming at you at some stage. We've talked a few times this season, had a lot of chat with the Italian Federation, and we all wanted to succeed, and this is the best way from their standpoint, so they were wholeheartedly in favour. It's all about understanding what all the nations and the provinces and the clubs within those nations want, and you can't accommodate everybody, but I think if we keep rugby at the heart of it, an improvement at the heart of it, we won't go far wrong. On European final weekend, uh, NSI won the Continental Cup and uh, they have such a huge appetite to play rugby on a big stage. They want to play a lot of rugby on a lot of big stages too. What are the goals for them? What's the reality in the future for them? Our goal is not just to develop rugby across Europe, but give access to teams that have ambition. And that's what they've got. So they're there. I suspect they're going to be sticking around for a while. Unless, of course, the Romanians, the Georgians and others come up, and that's all the Germans. I mean, Heidelberg is, is, is an up-and-coming team. So it's very exciting. Going to the Bilbao next year, Spain got into the Sevens, uh, Olympic Sevens, Spanish rugby is on the up, and Bilbao's a wonderful destination. So we're trying to do things differently, innovate, and accommodate the fact that we've got this wonderful group of, of countries and clubs outside of the core. Uh, and that's a really exciting thing. On the subject of the global season, where ideally would you like to position yourselves within that? You would think the natural climax is for us to have the last match, which is the climax of the season. And I'm sure, you know, from our standpoint, hosting the tournament, organising it, that that's where it would love to be. I mean, if you look at the saracens Clermont game, that was like an international, with tribal stuff going on off the field, which was fantastic to see. And you'd love to think that was the pinnacle, therefore the last game. That comes back to the global season and fitting in a lot of people's ambitions and objectives. Obviously, we're all about the aggregation of the clubs. They've all got their finals happening after hours. So it's a discussion point that's on the list of things to talk about. Good stuff. Thank you for that, Simon Holland. Thank you. Uh, we're talking there as well about who's going to benefit the most. And I'm looking at some of the Welsh clubs last season, only one getting through. It's going to help them, surely. Yeah, I think they'll probably end up with two, maybe even three in. So uh, there's a lot more to play for. The Italian sides, it, I suppose it's a bit of a carrot, isn't it? It's saying, look, if you guys can improve a lot more, then you're going to get back into the main competition. But I, I think it's worked out better for everyone. So Sarah went to meet Sam Warbton uh, ahead of the, the Lions tour and she, um, this one, she said. I was just sat in the car on my own. And when he asked me the question, I just laughed because it was just such, a, such an amazing thing to be asked. You say beforehand, you don't think about it, but you can't help it. I thought, hypothetically, if I was asked, obviously I'd do it. The question everyone asked was, well, why did you not do it for Wales and you do it for the Lions? Yeah. Going into the Six Nations in January, I didn't feel I was in a place I could be captain. I, I what was picked... it in kind of mentally or...? I wasn't playing well enough. Okay. Um, I thought, if I was going to pick a Welsh team now, I probably wouldn't even pick myself in the back row right now. So how can I be captain? It just sends out the wrong message. So um, could you see yourself now going back to captain Wales? I seriously, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's difficult <laughs> because it's, um, if you can keep playing well, I think you can be captain. Yeah. Um, but you don't want to be... Ca I've always said as captain, you've got to play well and you've got to prioritise your performance. So when you're not playing well and you're captain, you feel guilty having it because you think, oh, there's players there who aren't going to be happy about And that's a burden in this. itself, I guess, isn't it? Is it is massive pressure. How different, though, are you expecting this challenge to be compared to, to four years ago? Probably a bit more intense. Um, there's not really going to be a game where we're going to win by similar margins to what we won four years mm. ago. There's a couple of games which... Slightly weaker team and then right. it was a bit of a... 
a less competitive fixture, but I don't think that's going to happen this time round. There's going to be difficult games every single game. Let's talk fatherhood. It's going to be, I guess, another challenge for you now, though, this Lions tour, being away around for so long, isn't <laughs> that's it? it? It's going to be missing Anna, you know, and I FaceTime her already when I go on away games and on a big iPad she can recognise my voice and face because oh. I say certain <laughs> things to her. Um, like what? I pretend I'm your iPad. Cause I'm... <laughs> 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 she recognises that! There so, you go! Um, <laughs> something along those lines. <laughs> I love it, but it's going to be tough, But yeah, but it's, that's, that's going to be the hardest thing. Is it too early to have spoken about kind of like the way you're going to approach this tour in terms of the way you're going to play? I think um, I think Steve Borthwick has made the effort to chat to a few different guys, and I've got a bit of an insight into how he's approaching the tour. Um, which how I, is he approaching the tour? Which I totally agree with. I'm not sure if I can say too much, but I was pretty excited after chatting not to rolling, him. Not rolling, it's fine. So um, <laughs> I'm really happy to get on board with that sort of game plan and go forward with that. And I think we've got the pack of forwards to do that as well. And you look at how successful England have been from their pack over the past few years, it'd be, it would be stupid to ignore that game plan which has worked for them so well. Um, then you mix in guys you know, like Sean O'Brien and these guys and Justin Tipperick and Toby who are extremely talented you know, ball players as well as rugby players. And um, yeah, it's a real exciting combination you can pick. I've always thought the good Southern Hemisphere teams, their front five carry extremely well and they're really good around the field. But you look at the front five for the Lions now, and there's a lot of athletes in that front mm. five, a lot of really good mobile athletes. So that's what you're going to need to go down south. So uh, where's it going to go? The stats actually point in the direction of Exeter, don't well, they? Well, last weekend, the semi-finals, two great semi-finals. And actually, we spoke all week leading up to, to this game and said that what Exeter need to do is get the tempo high, get the ball in play a lot, because Saracens like to go up and down with their tempo and, and, and control the game. This work-to-rest ratio, that's how much the ball's in play versus how much it's out. That's quite high. It's up where Exeter like to be. Saracen's usually around 0.7. So that was a big area. Hit periods, that's the high-intensity period. So not particularly high. Again, we spoke about when Saracen's like a lot of those, but not much of this. So they don't like the ball in play, but they like to go hard. And then... This was a big, big area, the set piece. We spoke about it before. Usually a, a real platform for Saracens, but 71% again and 91% on the line-out, 100% on both for, for the Chiefs. I just felt that Saracens were a little bit fatigued, and that's probably re uh, resulting in these lack of dominant collisions. Exeter won this battle, and Saracens couldn't get that line speed they were used to, and as a result, the Chiefs... Gain line, yeah, gain line success, very, very good. And I think it's a similar sort of battle. When you look at the other semi-final, it was Leicester Pack carrying very hard versus the agility and the pace of the Wasp back backs. If you look at this stat here, as you can see, round about 47% of players played from 10 outside. Cipriani and Gopeth having real control in the game. Quite a few carries, high metres, uh, defenders beaten really, really high, which will be a worry for Exeter if they can starve them of possession. If we go and have a look at them head-to-head -head for the final... This is where it'll be w well, really worrying. Yeah, these are the tries scored uh, and the range that they come from. So we know that Wasps have a back three and a back line that can attack from anywhere. As a result, 33 um, uh, of their uh, tries come from their own half. 
Contrast that with Exeter, they score most of theirs in the opposite, from the opposition 22. So Exeter want that territorial game, they want to kick into the corners and then they want to squeeze the life out of you. Well, you do sense actually that it is going to be about those turnovers. Game line success, not the best for Wasps, so they're not going to play a carrying physical power game. Maybe defensively they can against Exeter, but I don't think so in attack. And if you also look at this, time in possession of Exeter, I think Wasps have just got to starve them of possession for as long as they possibly can, going wide, wide and really test their high intensity, their real sort of um, interval sort of sprint um, fitness. Well, if they get out wide, then there's an area that Wasps might feel that they we can attack. Right thing. Yeah, if Exeter can, can stop that width of Wasps, they've got a really, really good chance. But we know what Exeter can do. They just bosh teams to death. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast this season. We'll be back again after the summer break. See you then. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.